Hi, everybody. This is Jessica Chapman. This is Luna Carrillo. And Jessica Denise Dixon. And today, we are talking about something that impacts the ways that we view our bodies in a big way. And that is drum roll. White supremacy. Oh, I know you're super excited. You're cheering as you're listening to this. You're ready to dive in. Um, so, you know, get out and get out of paper. We're going to talk about a lot of things. You're probably going to learn a few things today. Um, and we have some things to define. We have a lot of things to discuss. So, of course, Soapbox Sisters, you just jump in right when you are ready. So first, I want to define supremacy. People get squeamish when people talk about white supremacy. Like, people's heart rates go up, they get sweaty. At its base level, the root of the word supremacy means seated above. And so when we talk about what white supremacy is, it is a position where whiteness, so the features that come with being white, um, are seen as above other kinds of features. It's, it, it's, a, it's a culture in which white culture is seated at above other forms of culture and then seen as the norm, the right way to be. Other forms of culture, other forms of being, other characteristics are seen as other. They are seen as something to fear. They are seen as something to be rejected. And so when we have cultures of supremacy, um, the people who um, are able to hold the power that comes along with that have something that's called privilege. And privilege on one hand is unearned favor um, or power or an advantage because of a specific identity. Um, but it also means that there are less barriers within a society um, because of your specific identity. And it also means that those who don't hold those identities that are considered privileged um, are punished. There's punishment in systemic oppression um, in subtle ways and in systemic ways. So when, I, when we think about this, um, okay, at least right now in 2022 holds the most privilege and that right now is white people, cisgender people, males specifically, heterosexuals, able-bodied people um, or non-disabled people, people who are Christian or Christian passing, um, English-speaking people, um, U.S.-born English-speaking people, um, middle-aged people, and then upper middle to upper class. So if you hold more than one of those identities, then it's going to be harder for you potentially to understand what people who don't hold this, those identities experience in the world. Because whiteness lives and privilege lives um, like, um, like a viewpoint through which you're going to view the world. And so I have certain kinds of privilege, and that means that I have less of a likelihood to notice, um, you know, the kind of marginalization of people who don't hold the same privilege. Now, why does this matter? Because 
part of our embodiment and how we move in society is going to be um, based upon whether we feel like we belong somewhere, whether we feel like we can actually be ourselves fully. And if we have for centuries or for generations, we've had identities that have been told you are less than, that I am superior over you. Um, you know, it's going to be maybe hard for, for us to connect with our bodies. Whiteness and for other forms of supremacy, they are very disembodied forces in our world. Um, and when I'm talking about these things, I, I like to talk about white supremacy and patriarchy as cultures because I think it's easier for us to understand the ways that they live. So some people talk about them like they're constructs because race, of course, is a construct um, that was, you know, created a hundred years ago in the way that we understand it now. Um, and with the, the creation of race as we understand it now was the creation of cultures um, and different forms of culture that are based upon these races. So culture is the lens through which we see the world and it includes our attitudes, norms, values, beliefs, opinions, and behaviors. So this includes assumptions that we make about other people and about how things should be, um, acceptable expressions of noise, how we dress, how formally we dress, how informally we dress, whether we have cultural dress or attire, um, acceptable emotional expressions, you know, whether we, whether anger is okay, um, whether we can be sad or not, um, and how we express those things and where we express those things. Rituals that we do, traditions that we have, language and how it's used, whether we speak in a very formal way or whether we use a lot of slang, whether we use, um, you know, Black English vernacular um, or not. Um, it includes things like gender roles, including like, are we only living in a binary or do we actually allow, um, is there space within a culture for more than, more than two? Of genders. Um, it includes things like shared beliefs about historical events, not just what happened during an event, but also the impact of it on our society. Um, shared stories or stories that are passed down to our family, and so much more. So when we're thinking about things like whiteness or, you know, things like um, that, that give us the cultures that give us privilege, those are the the, the ways that they live in our life. And it's important to understand that because it practically functions in our world. Um, now, I want to speak to um, some aspects um, of whiteness that I think really did contribute to our disembodiment. Um, and one, one reason that I really think it's important to talk about this is because in order for things to remain as they are, in order for the status quo to be kept up, we have to be disembodied. Because if we were really in our bodies, we would understand that we were inherently connected to one another. If we're in our bodies, we would understand that by our nature, we are nature. That we are connected to the trees, we're connected to the land, we're connected to things outside of ourselves. And that it's not just us. 
moving forward as individuals. And when we understand that, um, when, we, when we really integrate that those things are, are truer about us, society starts to shift. We have less of a tolerance for um, oppression. We have less tolerance for, um, you know, systems that demean and dehumanize others, both here domestically and when we think about conflicts overseas that maybe like the U.S. has um, <laughs> supported or, you know, been a, been a part of, decided to participate in. Also includes like how we view those people, and it also impacts our pleasure. It impacts whether we can be with ourselves. It impacts whether we can see ourselves as whole, or see ourselves as moving towards some kind of ideal. So there are some things that contribute, I think, um, specifically to our disembodiment. One is scarcity. Now these are these are foundational things that when I teach about white supremacy culture, these are some of the things that I teach. This is not a comprehensive list, um, but one is scarcity. Where there's not enough, there's not enough power, there's not enough money, there's not enough resources, but also that we are not enough. So there's always this internal that's you know socialized within us, this internal clamoring for how can I be more? How can I be more? How can I house more? You know, there's not a place where everyone can be a winner. Men and women can't both have pleasure. Men can. But <laughs> women kind of just have to lay down and take in, right? Take in seed or whatever, you know? Um, so that's one. Another aspect is shame. A sense of worthlessness, a feeling of disgrace. Um, and shame is an emotion. And it's an experience that we have because we're human. But it's wielded as a tool to keep us in line and, to, and for us to keep the status quo. And so we're not taught how to move through it. We are taught to internalize it and make shame who we are. And it's harder to be with ourselves when we are when we are shame, when we when we feel disgrace, when we feel like we should not exist. Another aspect is niceness. The superficial societal pleasantries that actually require self-abandonment because we have to show up in a specific way to prevent people with privilege and power from being uncomfortable. And in order to be nice, which is different than kindness, we have to set a part of ourselves aside. We have to set our actual feelings aside. We have to set our desires aside. Maybe, you know, we have a, a dissenting opinion. We can't express ourselves fully. This is going to stop us from actually being connected to ourselves, our bodies, and our souls. Another aspect is perfectionism. This is this rigid pursuit of an ideal. And, I, and, and it's an ideal that's set by the people who have the power. And the ideal can really never be met. So here we see that failing to meet the ideal that really can't be met anyway, and any mistakes that we make, that they are seen as personal failings, that we should have been more perfect, that we shouldn't have made the mistake. And then that goes, again, back to the shame of us. Like, should we exist? Should we be here? Should we be connected to ourselves? Should we love ourselves? No. 
because if we're imperfect, it means that we kind of lack um, what's, you know, worthiness in some way. And that's just, it's not true, but it is part of this culture. Another is objectivity. And this is the, there is an inherent denial um, that our lives are socially constructed. There's a delusion that there actually is an objective truth. And I think that's really important for us to understand that everything in our life is socially constructed. You know, from the time that we're literally growing in the womb of, of our parents, we're, we are having some kind of experience that is shaped by that experience, that is shaped by, by um, you know, us, the way that we're born, that is shaped by the ways that we're raised, that is shaped by the people who are part of our lives who are conditioning us and socializing us to believe certain things, to show up in certain ways. So the, the idea that something can actually be objective, it's a delusion. And it gets us stuck because here we see such a focus on data and also a rejection or a refusal to see emotional expression as valid. Um, and if then if you're too emotional, then what you have said is invalid. You are invalidated because of it. Because you should just be, you should take off the emotions and just see things from the perspective of data and it disconnects us from who we are. And I believe that that's, there's no such real, real such, such thing as objectivity. Um, and that doesn't mean that we can't look at things holistically, that we can't look at the big picture of things, but that's not the same as looking at things with, with this objective, quote, objective lens. Another, and I know this is a lot of information, we're going to be able to unpack it all and pause and take a breath in a second, but I want us to kind of just get this big picture first. Another aspect of this culture is individualism. This idea that we are separate, that we are not interconnected. Um, individualism, it causes competition, it disconnects us from one another, but also when we are the people that hold the privilege, we get to see ourselves, those who are of us who hold privilege, we get to see ourselves as individuals and we get to see other groups as them. So that creates big disconnection. It creates that rigid, this is me here and you are you and you are over there. And, you know, it can be a dehumanizing experience depending on how we feel the power that we get from the privilege that we have. Um, another thing that I think is really important, um, some people talk about this um, and call it competition and, and conquering. I call it productivity as identity where we conflate who we are with how productive we are. We conflate the work that we do with, with our, ourselves as an identity. And we forget that what we do isn't who we are, but who we are actually leads us to aligned, integrated action. And we then move forward as a worker bee, a human doing instead of a human being. And we mistake ourselves for the things that we do. Um, and that we often just put ourselves off in parts of our soul and from our bodies when we have this. 
and I'm almost done. Another is urgency. Urgency is to focus on what are the quick wins that we can get. But it's often, even on an unconscious level, driven by a sense of guilt, a sense of shame, sometimes by a lack of emotional intelligence because emotional intelligence, again, is not valued because you should be objective, right? And if you're too emotional, then you, then you, you should really have a voice at the table. You should have a place here and talk about anything. Um, often, when, often when there's a focus on urgency as well, it's very disconnected from the body. Often there's like a nervous system reactivity that's happening in the body that's completely ignored to go act. And what, what, you know, what the opportunity is is to slow down to understand what's happening within us and then to take a mind action. Um, but that's a practice that this culture doesn't allow for. <laughs> it says that urgency it should move you. And it's the only thing that can move you, right? Like shame and urgency are the, they should be the driving forces. Um, and we can, but we can be driven by other things like love and other things that, you know, and an embodied intuitive process. Um, but when we don't know that that's available, it's easy to get stuck in urgency. Another is an aversion to conflict and a focus on comfort, meaning that we stuff down, we avoid, we do anything to move on or defend ourselves um, from things that might be hard for us to hear about ourselves, about our society, or things that challenge our ideal persona of ourselves, our family, our ancestors, our society. And that means often for the people who hold privilege, when someone says something that makes the person in a privileged body uncomfortable, if they don't know, if they're not doing their work, if they're not embodied, they, it can often feel like there's a lack of safety. And when people don't feel like they're safe, not only do they defend themselves, but they are also trying to attack the other. If I think I'm unsafe, depending on where I am, I'm going to attack you first. I'm going to attack you before I can, I can be attacked. And it can feel very dangerous for people who don't hold privileged identities in the world. And so our bodies and our embodiment is, is cut off often because of this. Because if I have to walk through the world always fending for my safety because people with privilege don't know whether they're unsafe or uncomfortable, it's going to create a whole dynamic within me. So not only are the people who are privileged disembodied, then I have to walk around disembodied because I can't fully be safe because someone might see me as a threat if I don't know who those people are. And then last but not least, what we're going to talk about today is hierarchy. This power over where white, wealthy men dominate. Um, where moving up the hierarchy is the ideal, and you're shamed if you don't want to move up the hierarchy. You're shamed if you don't like hierarchy. Um, and the people who are lower in the hierarchy, who might have challenges for the people who are higher up, are seen as troublemakers, are seen as um, people who don't really deserve to have a voice. They're silenced, marginalized, actively oppressed. And these things cut our all of these things, I know I said a lot, 
but they cut us off from ourselves. They cut us off from our souls. They cut us off from our bodies. And I think that as we're moving forward in our conversations, it's always like, this is one thing that's going to impact every single other conversation that we have on this podcast because whiteness and privilege is ever, is ever present. It's not something that we can um, just shut off. So I, you know, I believe that we can actively work to dismantle it until then we have to do the work of being present to it until it shows up. So I just want us all to just take a nice breath in. (sighs) Just let it go. Because I know that this can feel heavy. And it is heavy. Um, And this is why we want to work to dismantle. um, To dismantle. To work to dismantle our privilege. um, And power over. I want to open up. Open up the floor. <laughs> so, um, could you repeat those key things one more time to say in succession so we kind of like have an overall recap of it, if that's a thing? Oh, yeah. I talked about scarcity, I talked about shame, niceness, perfectionism, objectivity, individualism, our productivity as our identity. Urgency and aversion to conflict and a focus on comfort and hierarchy. Yeah. I think I, I want to say something right off the bat so I insist hetero, hetero peering <laughs> um, and white and female. And I come from a relatively stable, what is stability means, uh, middle class background. <laughs> Um, and I, I just want to offer up this sort of piece as, as I have gone on my own journey of dismantling my own, um, inherited sort of, uh, what's the word for wise Um, and what that looks like for me. And I remember when I first started this work, gosh, it was like 2016, like in earnest, started this work in 2016. Uh, I think I had this feeling and I get this from a lot of, white women who are working in the nonprofit world or white women who are working in um, policy or politics is, is that somehow uh, black and brown people, I'm just going to call it out, like their experiences almost are a little bit threatening to our own and that we have to, as white women, be like, well, yeah, but I'm a woman. And we have to like, our lack of privilege. And so what I, what I often do to... Uh, to, to my specific name, I'm talking to white cis women right now, is I challenge you to think about, okay, if nobody knew who you were when you walked into the room, what are the things that people are going to notice about you? And so that is something that I really, really struggled with for a long time. So I was like, well, you don't know me, and well, maybe our experiences are the same, and all these different things. And I would say, yes, and now that I've done some work, still have a lot more to do, trust me. Um, you know, I I have a background where I come from, like, quote unquote, considered to be broken home, right? I come from a place where we had food scarcity, where we did not know when we were going to have or if we were going to have food at the dinner table. But when I walk into a room, I have blonde hair and blue eyes, 
Something that my mom has struggled with for a long time, though she, I think she understands more now, is like, well, but we made it to the boardroom. We made it to the, to the, you know, whatever, Congress and Senate or whatever. And, you know, what we really need to focus on is the ratio of women to men in Congress or whatever. These are my things. And, and I, I challenge that by saying, yes, and, like, sure, we need to challenge, like, Congress, and we need to challenge the amount of people who are on the boardroom. But again, even if we pull out bigger, like Jessica said, what we're looking at really is people just recreating and reproducing the same thing that oppresses us. We're just climbing the ladder to reach that, you know, oppressive state to then oppress other people. So, yeah, it's dismantle it. <laughs> and it, it, it's really not a slippery slope, mm-hmm. you know, to think that if I rise, that hierarchy, if I rise to the power of them, then, you know, it's like, oh, when you get your sense of self from that, that's not who you really are. That's not who your soul was put on this earth to be, you know, not to have the power, but to like flourish for all of us. Like we are meant to be connected and whiteness is connected from ourselves and others. So it's, of course it's easy to think like, oh, you know, if we have more opportunities to to rise and be VPs, like what? Well, and really, like in organizations, how how prolific is that? Really, how, how, you know, women still there is still a, a lack of women in power. <laughs> so I think that you know, yes, there have been strides, and we need to look at really what's what's true, like what is being lived out right now. Um, and have they just like sort of repeated the playbook for men? Because ultimately, that's what I think of it is. It's like we always say, like, oh, well, if women were in charge, then X, right? But what kind of women? I mean, Indira Gandhi, I think I've said this in a previous podcast, like Indira Gandhi, and who was the prime minister of uh, India, was responsible for forcibly uh, sterilizing poor people in Bangladesh. That would be in direct opposition of what sort of like feminine or female sort of like ideals are or Margaret Thatcher who's the prime minister of the UK is a really good example of a woman who literally just basically did what Reagan did in the United States at the same time except that she was born so we need to be cognizant of like also when we're talking about gender parity what is that actually like And of course, like all of these things are impacted by power dynamics. One of the things that, you know, when I'm working with clients, it's a big thing to be able to talk about, like, where does your sense of power come from? Because when it comes from privilege, that's something that, like, society gives you, where it's based on something, like, really superficial. Because people who are marginalized or oppressed are less capable, less confident, um, less intelligent. None of those things are true, but that's the that's kind of what society has to believe in order to hold some people up in power and say, oh, no, you don't get it. Um, and so when I'm working with people, I, I often have the conversation of where does your sense of power come from? Does it come from, like, knowing your inner worth? Does it come from, you know, knowing that your ancestors made it through, you know, and when it would have been easy to, you know, give up or give, give yourself over to, a colonizer, um, you know, and, and, and for white people, like, can you heal some of your ancestral stuff? 
you know, all of the, the fear. That's another aspect that I didn't really talk about today. Like fear is it's a foundational aspect of white supremacy where we are, you know, we are socialized. We internalize that we we need to fear each other. We need to fear the people in power and we need to fear ourselves. So stepping up into the fullness of our power, um, it is a, it is revolutionary. And it's it, and it's crucial that we have the space for ourselves to look and see like, okay, where where am I sourcing my power? Am I just looking to get the power of white men? Like I kind of I wrote a post about like, you know, the the joke about the uh Pretending like you're like a mediocre white man or that like empowering you, and I'm like, I don't want that. That's not like far I want. That's like a false sense of power. I want my power to come from like my womb. I want my power to come from like knowing the strength of my ancestors that they fucking made it through. And, you know, I'm that that's what I that's what I want my power to come from. I don't want to like pretend like I'm Chad. <laughs> no, thank you. Like. No, thank you. I, yeah, yeah. I don't think you. I think I just want to thank you both for the discussion and information. I like fully readily acknowledge that this is a piece of. Um, like our data thing that I have fully like delved into. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the things that you just mentioned in the last episode, like there's just like so many things that we have to worry about and like, you know, be an advocate for and, you know, like know things about it and like there's just so much that I feel like this is probably those things that I feel like I haven't properly like started to divulge mm-hmm. into, right? And so I know that there's a lot of work that I would like to do around how me as a woman mother, but still with my own, you know, like ideas, with my own privilege, with my own with everything that like my narrative is, like how am I contributing to the yeah. system or how am I actively um, rebelling against it, right? So I always am fascinated by, and I think I am I'm just really thankful when I have like people in my circle that can have these discussions because I feel like that leads them in the right place, right? Yeah. Like I can start to do that work I can start to um, just learn a little bit more about how maybe some of the things that I've heard a long time felt like what you were saying for me was an individual thing mm-hmm. right really are about the collective right and so um, I think two of the things that you mentioned one of them was the um, the nice yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. factor of like why for the longest time did I feel like I had to put on like a persona of who I, you know, and I, there's that, and also um, like one of I forgot what I was having 
conversation about it. I talked about how there's specific people within my like career tra- trajectory that were at that time like overtly like saying very racist things about me that I never realized why they sat wrong with me, right? right? Of like the oh, but you speak English wrong, oh, you know, uh-huh. like oh yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or like, oh, you know, when we're talking, when we're out having conversations about like um, uh, immigration or, or um, you know, from Mexico coming um, to this country and wanting to have like, a better life, um, it's like, oh, well, you know, there's a right way to do it. Like you, like you, um, like your family, like works hard, and like, you guys like have, you know, like you, you did the process right. Like you had, you just have your citizenship, and you, and I. Like for for a very long time, granted I was way young, these conversations were happening, and I wish I would have said something different now, but you know, right. it, it was what it was. But it's like just like these ideas of white people kind of putting you in a box of like, okay, well, you're closer to the white mm-hmm. than these other people, and so we'll accept you because you're white enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And that like even getting to that point of like, okay, well, that's why this is bothering you. That's why this didn't sit well with me. Or even like the concept of like, this is why they'll accept you. Like that took a long time for me, I feel like, to um, come to terms with. Um, I think the other one that you mentioned was the, the productivity one. And that's always been like, a, oh, you tell them you're nice. You know? Like that's how we prove what we're worth. Because otherwise, like, we're not worth anything in this country. And even like, Dismantling that, right? Like, why do we have to prove that we're worth being in this country? Like, why can't we as people come and exist as people and be accepted because we're human beings and not because of what we're contributing to a society? And I'm doing that in it, like, in myself, right? Yeah. Because then I will then see people that are coming, you know, whether it's, you know, other family or distant family or friends of family, like trying to come into this country, like I'll actively hear myself being like, well, do they have, you know, like what they need to get out of, like stopping that thought process in their own like, no, like they don't need to prove that they're worth being a person in this country. Like they, their existence in and of itself is enough for them to be able to be here and be and have a, a, a life where they're safe where they have the resources that they need where, you know, and so I think I am a little bit more pensive about this topic. I am a little bit more quiet on this topic because I don't feel like I have that much to contribute, but I do acknowledge kind of like, this is where I'm at now. I know I want to do work around it. Um, I appreciate for people that are willing to take the time and this make the space to have these conversations with me um, and also that, that even though I am you know a female or mother like I still have my things to work through because that doesn't need to be exempt from the conversation yeah we often internalize these things in such different ways depending on our identities and how we grew up and again like you know what we believe that we need to be in order to be seen as valid and you know part of part of the work that i do is based upon us all being so inherently loved inherently loved inherently valued inherently worthy um and seeing like what does that mean like if, if we actually believe that about ourselves how does that change 
how we view our bodies, how does that change? How we view the action that we take, how does that change? What we think of when we think of what we want to do for work or the contribution that we want to make in society. Um, and I've done a lot of work around feeling like I need to prove myself. Yeah. Um, because of the way that I've internalized whiteness, like, you know, whiteness very much values like expertise and so having to prove that I know enough in order to be seen that or you know, I, I think not only that I know enough, but that I am not too emotional about it. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> it's super fun. I'm either too happy or too angry. There's like no in between. When I, you know, when I was working, um, you know, before I started doing business, like I always got the, you know, each end of the pendulum. You're either too angry about something, or you're maybe like you're too happy, which makes you seem naive, and, and you really do the thing that I that I need you to do. Right. Like, because I seem young, or I seem immature. Yeah. It's like, no, but pretty sure that doesn't actually mean that I can't do this thing. Right. And so then it's like, I have to show up inauthentically to prove myself. And I committed to divesting from that a few years ago. But man, is it a hard journey? It can really be. Like, you have been conditioned to show up in a certain way or to believe certain things about your existence because those are how you kept yourself safe. That was how we, you know, child immigrants, how your family keeps moving, right? It's it's in some ways like, you know, we want to use like the grit that that content of men developed. We want to use that, but also like this reclamation of our souls, of our inherent worth, of our inherent value. That says, no, I don't need to produce one thing in order to be worthy. Don't need to. And if I don't need to, what do I want to do? Who do I want to be? How do I want to funnel, you know, this energy that I have in my body into action into? Like, what is the thing that lights me up about being a human being, about my existence? Um, like a different world. Mm. Yeah. So I guess I'm wondering, um, again, as I shared a little bit about, like, if there are people that are in similar stance position or if you want to learn more, yeah. right? Or like if you want to um, start to work and then at a different level, like, you know, this is going to be one episode where I believe that it's something get brought up in terms of themes and, and, and the rest of our discussions, but for people that specifically maybe want to focus on this work, do either of you have any like recommendations, any resources, any anything, you know, that maybe you could tap into to do this at a deeper level? Yeah, well, I'm going to plug myself and do because not only do I work with people in person one-on-one, -on -one, but I also have a self-paced course. And I think if you're really new and you're not sure how you feel about any of this stuff, a self-paced course is a really great place to start. 
They come with lessons. It also comes with a lot of reflection. So there's really a lot of like looking at your life and really looking at like who you are, looking at your identity, looking at the things that have shaped you in ways that you haven't haven't looked at before, but also ways that you're conscious of. Um, so I have a course called the orientation of that self pace. And I think that that is a really beautiful place to start with people. And also just like checking in, um, you know, you know, maybe check my social media because um, I'm always like running workshops and things like that. Um, and just to see if there's anything that might be available. But that course, I think, is a really good place because it's information, but it's also the reflection part. Um, until I write a book, <laughs> those are great resources. So, and then did you mind? I have a pencil off your social media. If you want to share like your social media? Oh, yeah. That's as well, but just a lot of people are know where to reach you. Yeah, on IG, I am Jessica D. Dixon Coaching. So, or you can go to my personal without the coaching, but it's D I C K S O N. And yeah, you can find me there. And, um, I post a little bit more recklessly on my personal page, which I I think is, is fun. But if you just want the serious stuff, you can go to my professional page. But that's where you can find me on my team. Thank you. And Jessica Denise had also recommended um, Who We Are, which is a documentary about basically the chronicle of racism in America. And I think that that... Um, it really puts it together in a, in a beautiful way because I think I've learned all about all of the things that they touch on and they talk about, but this, I think, really helps paint the timeline in a beautiful way and it makes it personal because the, the person who's doing the, the work, uh, Jeffrey Robinson, he's, he has a very unique perspective and it's really interesting um, to listen to him talk about it. Truly a phenomenal Right now it's on Netflix, um, and my my dad suggested it to me. And because I'm always like studying, I'm like, okay, well I'll, I'll check it out. And for me, it's truly one of the most comprehensive, um, straightforward, not a lot of fluff, but just like the realness of what what has happened historically. Um, yeah, it's it's beautiful, truly. Really beautiful journey, enlightening. Yeah, yeah. And also, like, I think something that would be really interesting that I haven't done yet that I want to do is understand my ancestry on like either side of my family, and not, and I don't just mean like you know twenty three being like getting swab, but actually like that I wanted to, but they'll probably just come out like it's white. You're white. Cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> more about that. 
You know, like you weren't there when Martin Luther King, Dr. King was killed. Tell me what, like, how was that? How did that feel for you? But also, like, what are your thoughts and your perspectives on it? Like, what are some of the things that you kind of accepted or internalized that maybe are are wrong or false or or whatever? So anyway, there, I think there's a lot to be said about looking into your your past and for specifically white people. You're gonna see some stuff that you're not super happy about. But that facing that, and he talks about this in his in the, the documentary, facing those things is better than saying, "Well, that was my ancestors back in the day." Yeah. You know, acknowledging the the wrongdoings, acknowledging the hurt, and not dismissing it. But you know, just saying, "Like, yeah, that's a thing that happened." Yeah, and, I, and there's a there's a big difference between being responsible for something like I created this, I did this mm-hmm. and be accountable for it. And so accountability says, I didn't, I didn't create it, I didn't create systems of oppression. You know, I, it wasn't my creation. I, didn't, I wasn't responsible for it. But if I benefit because of privilege now, what does that look like for me to be accountable? What does it look like for me to be accountable for even, you know, even people who, who move here, maybe you're like second generation and both you're white and so you took on whiteness and then you took on privilege and being able to say, okay, I am accountable for the ways that I'm complicit and the ways that I benefit. So what does that look like for me to live accountable? Yeah. Um, and that doesn't have to be a scary thing. Um, it just, it's a way of Connecting really um, to our souls, to again, like who we really are made to be, which is not people who are over one another. We're made to be like in community with one another. Um, and the more we lose sight of that, the more um, distinctions we, we create that make us separate from one another. It just takes us, takes us further away, so we don't have to be afraid of the accountabilities. Um, even though it feels, yeah, I, so much reactivity comes up. We we speak of reparations or any of those things, and you know, it's like not like because you're a bad person. It's not about that right. um, at all. So, I wanted to add that in. <laughs> All right. Does anyone have anything else? All right. I think we're going to wrap this one up. We will talk to you soon.